Uh, good morning. Thanks for that uh, intro. Um, this is a surreal moment for me. Uh, never before did I think I'd be up here like this, at least. For those of you who are late, this isn't second announcements. This is, <laughs> this is a sermon. <laughs> um, this isn't the first time that Pastor Wayne has asked me to step outside my comfort zone. Uh, when I was in high school and youth group, I think I might have been a junior uh, at the time, he asked me to speak on a Wednesday night uh, to my peers. And so I nervously accepted. And for weeks, I spent time prepping at home, getting my message ready. I thought I had a, a great uh, interactive gospel-based message. He told me to prepare for about 30 minutes. Um, and so I, uh, I, I did my best. And that night came, and I was a little bit nervous. But I, I spoke, and uh, I shared, and went through everything I had. And then I looked up at the clock, and I nervously then looked at Wayne and tried my best to communicate through my eyes with panic that this is all I had. because. <laughs> What I didn't realize is that it only took about seven or eight minutes to get through <laughs> everything. And so uh, Wayne, being the gracious guy that he is, he uh, thanked me for my message. Uh, he uh, gave the rest of the night to another leader, and he took me out to coffee <laughs> at the Starbucks just around the corner, and we talked about, you know, what could I have done differently? And what did, <laughs> what did I learn? Um, so needless to say, if this is done in 10 minutes, you know what Wayne and I will be. We'll be at the Starbucks <laughs> talking about how this could have gone better. Uh, but in all reality, I'm excited for what God has in store today. I've been going to this church, as Wayne said, for almost 15 years now or a little bit more. And this church, East Parkway, has been an incredible blessing to me, not just in my development as a young man, but uh, in my walk with Christ. I thank God for this congregation, this community uh, of believers, because all of you have been fundamental uh, in my walk with Christ, in my pursuit of righteousness, and molding what I want in life as I look uh, forward to the future. I see families here that I want to mold uh, my future family after. Uh, I look up to the elders and how they prayerfully consider every step that they make, and I want to model that in my own approach to life. I look at leaders here who have served uh, wholeheartedly and with such dedication, um, and I just uh, I, I, that motivates me to do the same here for you guys, and I see couples, families, and friends uh, who welcome anyone and love everyone and point everyone in their life to Christ, and I want the same thing to be present in me. So I'll say all this because as I stand up here, I'm overwhelmed with thankfulness for, for all of you. This morning, we're going to be in Acts. I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Wayne and I are both preaching from Acts in back-to-back -back weeks. As, I was, as he was preaching last week, I was getting nervous sitting there, thinking that every single point I had was just already taken. <laughs> But <laughs> I was reminded that the Holy Spirit guides and leads us. Um, and so today we're going to be in Acts 2, verse 37 through 47. And I'm trusting that God will speak through me and um, that we will all hear the words that we need to hear. Let me pray. God, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity right now. Lord, we praise you for who you are, the awesome and amazing God that you are. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here together, uh, family, friends, uh, community of believers. God, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds right now to the truth that you have in Acts. God, I pray that um, we would lessen ourselves, Lord, so that we could be poured into by you. Um, God, we love you, and we want to dedicate everything we have to you. And so I pray that your truth would be heard this morning. Give me the words to say and the boldness in which to say it. Um, we just pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
Today I want to speak on the commitment that we have as disciples, as Christians, um, to his kingdom and what that exactly looks like. I want to talk about the church today, specifically our church, East Parkway, and the Church of Acts. When Wayne brought this mission to ministry plan to me at the beginning of the year, uh, I immediately gravitated towards this idea of purpose for our church and the three priorities that he had upward, outward, and inward. It was as if a light went on and suddenly uh, our church direction was not only making sense, but it stirred within me a passion and desire to carry out that purpose. I share that because it relates to this sermon this morning in the sense that the passion and call that God has given me to serve and minister to you, East Parkway. As all of you know, in your own jobs respectively, it's easier, significantly easier and more efficient uh, when you have a purpose, a clear direction of what you're doing. So since that time that Wayne shared those ideas with me, my job here has become uh, significantly easier and uh, hopefully more efficient and effective. I thought of the disciples even last week, as Wayne mentioned, Acts 1, 12 through 14, when Jesus left them, he left them with a mission. And even though they did not have the clearest idea of what that meant, they were committed to the cause of spreading the kingdom of God. They didn't know exactly how, they didn't understand specifics, uh, but they trusted that God would use them. And I think that we can be reminded of our purpose with the hopes that God will help us to be a more effective church and use us uh, in the life that we have here today. Uh, He's preached on the purpose of our church, fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. He's preached that several times, and it's been helpful to have some direction laid out in front of us. And I want this morning to talk more in detail about that direction for our church that comes from Acts. Uh, These characteristics of the church are modeled for us in Acts chapter 2. So read with me in 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread In their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's safe to say that there's just incredible momentum here at the beginning of Acts, here at the beginning of the church, really. Pentecost has just begun, and Peter gave his first sermon. And as mentioned in the week before, this sermon is the first sermon where these apostles are changed. They have this confidence and boldness that only comes from the Holy Spirit. The sermon that Peter gives goes on to describe who Jesus really was. God used this sermon to bring the people there together, first in their brokenness, and then in unity through being made whole in Jesus Christ. We see how Peter asserts Jesus' divine approval and redemptive mission, and then openly charges the people with his rejection and crucifixion. Matthew Henry says that from the very first delivery of that divine message, it appeared that there was a divine power going along with it, and it was mighty, and it was through God. 
And from here we have the first converts, the first harvest of souls. Uh, we have the start of the church. And what a time that would have been, the beginning of the early church. Uh, you can feel the movement here uh, as you read it at the beginning of Acts. It's the feeling that you get when things are, are bigger um, than yourself. There's something happening here. The effects of this are deep. Uh, they're forever. They're eternal. So again, I said there's just a lot of momentum. That momentum didn't come from programs, uh, new church buildings, or new functions. It came through the Holy Spirit and the will of God for his people. One of the overall themes of the book of Acts is that believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ among both Jews and Gentiles, and in doing this, they establish the church. I'll read that again. Believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, they established the church. The early church of Acts has been such a model of Christian community for our church of, in this time and for all generations for multiple reasons. Uh, its converts joyfully accepted Christ and identified themselves with the church. The early church was a model of steadfastness, uh, doctrinal soundness, Christian fellowship, wonderful sacred communion with, uh, together with God through the Holy Spirit. So I believe that this passage doesn't just describe what the early church was, but it also serves as a call to action, an example to be followed today. There is so much here in the beginning of this book, but today I want to focus on three things. That the church, according to Acts, is one, devoted to prayer, two, devoted to sharing the gospel, and three, devoted to community. I think we'll see that these three points are key contributors to what made the church of Acts the most incredible movement of all time, one that is still happening today. These three points relate definitely to some of what Pastor Wayne preached last week, and I only want to add on to that truth. I want to talk about what follows, and I think that's devotion. Devotion is defined as the use of everything you have for a particular purpose. Well, I think God is calling us to use everything that we have to be devoted to him through his church. So number one, devoted to prayer. We just got done uh, listening to a five-week series on prayer, and I think this is foundational to any Christian's life, even the life of a church, especially one seeking to grow. Prayer is incredibly relevant for a church coming from hard times, coming from a place where they don't know the future, know what to expect, um, but have been given the command of spreading the gospel. And are we not here today in a similar place? Have we, not just individually, but as a church, come from some unexpected hard times, experiences that have affected us all deeply, and are we not looking ahead to the future with some measure of uncertainty? I think the disciples found themselves in a similar situation. Just to recap a bit, here at the beginning of Acts, uh, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and right before doing so, he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit, a promise of the Father, in Acts 1, 4 through 5. And then we find in verse uh, 14 that they were together in one accord praying. And this just paints a, a beautiful and humble and even uh, an eager picture to me. Um, I'm a visual person, so I have to try to put myself in that situation. And the ESV study Bible helped me when it said that Jesus had told them to wait for the promise of the Father. And waiting on God and prayer are closely related uh, in the Old Testament. Therefore, it is likely that they were praying constantly that the promised spirit would descend. We had a conversation about this passage in one of our college life, uh, college life group nights. And someone brought up what it would look like to pray like this, um, to be one of the disciples in the situation where you don't exactly know what you're praying for. The disciples didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, uh, what it was going to be in their lives, in the life of the church, 
in the spreading of the gospel, they didn't know. Uh, to put it in perspective, we've never been in a time without the Holy Spirit. And so it just was a unique, a unique time uh, for, the, for the disciples. But they were devoted, and they were united in the sense that they were all seeking God's direction and awaiting his next move. Their minds were fixed and focused upwards towards Christ as they eagerly and obediently sought him and what he had in store for them. Upward. I think we are all called daily to have our minds fixed and focused upwards towards Christ as we await what he has in store for us. Throughout Acts, you'll see a devotion and prayer, and as we are called to be daily dependent on God, as we learn from the Sermon on the Lord's Prayer, we need to think, are we waiting on the Spirit? And likewise, as this past series has taught us, we need to be united in prayer like the church continued to be here in Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. After seeing God answer their prayers in chapter 1, they saw literally through the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They now devote themselves to prayer, to that holy communion with God. I think that's just incredible. Are we praying in accordance to God's will, all of us united in our prayers in the sense that we are all trying to align with his purpose for us, even as a church. We don't know what the future holds for us or for this church even, but we are with one accord, are we with one accord, waiting on him and praying for his will to be done. Not only do, do we see a devotion in prayer, but that prayer is often answered in unimaginable ways. Oftentimes you'll, you'll read thousands of souls being added to the church. This devotion to prayer unified them, not only in the sense that they were physically in the same location, but it unified their hearts with God. It gave them a purpose and a direction to their prayers. It created persistence within them, a persistence of faith. And it integrated their desires with their mission from Christ. That last one's my favorite. It integrated their desires with the mission from Christ. Prayer is something that we need here today to unify us to God's mission, the mission of this church. So the church, according to Acts, was devoted to prayer. The next uh, point from this passage is that the church in Acts is devoted to sharing the gospel. It seems like every time something happened, be it a healing, an argument between the priests and the disciples, a conflict within the church, or at the death of one of Christ's followers, the church grew. Every moment was an opportunity to spread the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking with uh, Gary Gubitz recently, and he reminded me of, of Christ's words at the beginning of Acts when he says in verse 8 of chapter 1 that we will be his witnesses. And this happens because Jesus said it would be so. If we were his disciples, truly his disciples, then God, uh, then whether taking out the trash or actually evangelizing to someone, God will use us and he will speak through us. The Greek word here for witness is, the word, uh, is where we get the word martyr. So witness is not just one who proclaims what he or she believes, but is one who lives what he or she believes. A witness is one who believes it so strongly that if it comes down to it, they'll die for what they believe. We will be his witnesses. Just like I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, having a direction, a mission, and even a role helps one to go forth with purpose and better intentionality. Even just a reminder of one's role can reinvigorate or motivate one to make the next step in the right direction. This reminded me of an example uh, from my days on the soccer field. Uh, some of you guys have played the sport or have watched kids play it. Um, but 
Uh, when you're really young, when the kids are playing soccer, uh, we used to refer to it as jungle ball. And just because it was, there's no positions really, you have just a bunch of kids from both teams, wherever the ball is, that's where they are, up and down the field. Um, it's just a mess. It's cute, but it's a mess. Uh, and as you grow older and start to understand the game, you understand there's positions and there's roles that you have to play. And so as I was growing in the game and learning soccer, I learned that I was defense. But old habits are hard to break. And so there'd be times when I just would go forward and want to chase that ball and score a goal. And I would hear my coach yell, hey, Andre, you're on defense. And that was all I needed. I would take the next step back to where I was supposed to be, back to the halfway line, which is where I was supposed to stay and wait for the ball. Uh, but it was just that. He didn't need to tell me anything more. He just reminded me of, hey, you're on, you're on defense. My point is in that the, the direction that the statement that the coach makes provides to the player. Just a simple, hey, you're on defense, was everything I needed to hear to get back to where I was supposed to be. It realigned me. And I think this is what happens at the beginning of Acts. You will be my witnesses. The disciples were going through a lot in this moment. Uh, after Jesus has sent them, left them, he gives them a mission. I'm sure they're mentally just kind of swirling with, what do we do now? And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He gives them, he reminds them of their purpose. Our mentality here today, if not already on this track, should then be adjusted. This reminder, this direction, helps us to be intentional with the fact that whether through words or actions, we will be sharing the truth of Christ because we are his witnesses. Maybe this statement that Jesus makes to his disciples at the time and to us today will help us to remember what we are supposed to be doing and how we are supposed to be living our lives, devoted to him and to the gospel. And now in Acts 2, verse 37, Peter has just given this sermon discussing the people's wrongdoings and after proving that who Jesus really was, a fulfillment of prophecy, Peter told them with boldness uh, that they crucified the Savior. And then this happens in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, Peter sa and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there, and there added that day about 3,000 souls. I love this expression of cut to the heart. In verse 37, we all know the feeling, hopefully. It's the Holy Spirit in us awakening us to the reality of our sin and to the need that we have for a Savior. I read this, and it resonated well with me for this. When we find ourselves in danger of being lost forever, there is hope of being made forever, and not till then. And I think that's what provokes this response from the people of what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. There's a sense of mortality, the end of life, not just on earth, but, for, uh, but eternally. I know that most here have experienced that feeling of being cut to the heart, but I also know that we all have people in our life that haven't yet and need to. We've been talking again in the college life group, and we're talking so much because we're going through acts in our college life group, um, about our responsibility to the gospel as Christians. Too often we're too comfortable not talking um, or we're too content, too shy, too modest with our desire to share the gospel. In that conversation at College Group, we came to the conclusion that it was rarely on our mind to share. It was, it, and if that, it was only a passing thought. But if we were being completely honest, it wasn't on our mind at all. At most, just an afterthought. 
and we wanted to change that. Now, I know that isn't everyone in this room, but it's some, and it's a good reminder. Why can't we, or what is keeping us from being more zealous, more intentional, more eager, more obedient to the command of Christ to fulfilling the Great Commission? This is the outward focus. Our gaze has shifted from upward towards Christ and moved towards those around us, those whom God has placed in our life. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, teammates, the list goes on, but we do not get to be selfish with the people that God has given us. For our lives are his and are tasked with carrying his saving word everywhere we go. How often do we get caught up with what is going on around us, whether it be work or school or even family situations, that we forget that, uh, the purpose with which we have been created? We also don't get to pick who hears the gospel based on our best judgment or whether we think they're going to be receptive or not. Uh, that might sound crazy. That might sound crazy, but I know that's a conversation that I've had in my own head, and we talked about it at a college group, and they all agreed that for some reason we think that we can have this conversation of, I don't think that they'd be receptive right now, or I don't think that this is the right time. Theologian Wayne Grudem says that, moreover, we have the example of Jesus who did not attempt to help only those who accepted him as Messiah. And from Luke 40, rather when great crowds came to him, he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. He goes on to say that this should encourage us to be carrying out deeds of kindness, praying for the needs of the people around us, and the lives of believers and unbelievers the same. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. The Holy Spirit cuts to the heart. We are the vessel carrying that message. Who am I to think that I know who needs to hear and who doesn't? Who am I to take away an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work? At the beginning of Acts 3, we see a lame man healed by the Holy Spirit through Peter and John. Acts 3, 9 through 11 says, And all the people saw him walking, this lame man, and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's what got the people together. The healing of this man was what got the people gathered so then they could hear the gospel preached by Peter and John. Later in chapter 4, Peter and John are, are taken away, but in verse 4 we read, But many of, the, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. These disciples, these followers of Christ, as we claim to be today, were committed to the gospel. They were witnesses. And as Paul encourages us in Romans, we too should not be ashamed of the gospel, for we are to live by that faith that we believe. Are we thinking about being intentional with every opportunity we have in our lives? Do we need a realignment in our lives to remember the position that we are in as witnesses? Are we thinking about being outward with the gospel, reaching those around us, initiating those conversations where, that can lead to the cutting of the heart by the Holy Spirit? Are we devoted to sharing the gospel? So we have a devotion to prayer and a devotion to sharing the gospel, and now we have our third point, which is devotion to community. You could also say we have our upward, our outward, and now our inward. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now what this passage isn't saying is anything related to communism. The giving here is voluntary. They still had their personal effects as to what God had given them. The abolition of private property is not commanded or implied here. However, there is a genuine, you laugh, but it's, people think that that talks about communism. <laughs> However, there is a genuine generosity in sharing that is seen as commendable. But what is very apparent and what I think is most important here is their desire to spend more time in worship together with God. Verse 40 said, day by day attain the temple together. Worship, not just being a time of musical praise to God, but worship being the activity of glorifying God in his presence with voice and with our hearts. The believers at this time wanted to spend as much time together as possible, united in Christ, because it was good for their souls. After the service today, there's going to be a directional meeting downstairs, and we're going to hear from Pastor Wayne about steps we are taking to have a better community. The desire from the leadership of this church is to be like the believers in Acts, where we have a community where people want to spend as much time together as possible because it's good for our souls. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship, fellowship, the Greek word here is koinonia, which means participation or sharing. But the implication here, though, is beyond English. Is this coming together, this interrelatedness, literally becoming a part of each other, a strong bond and tie, a communion, a commonness and fellowship. That's what fellowship meant. In regards to fellowship, we today as Christians are the same as the Christians back then in that we share the same guide for life, the same love for God, the same desire to worship him, the same struggles, the same victories, and we share the same joy of community. The early church was devoted to participating. We get that from fellowship. Participating in the gospel. Participating in each other's lives and sharing life with each other. Sharing burdens. Sharing joys and sorrows. Sharing needs and provisions. This brought about a certain community that, that defined who they were. Even to the people around them. That encouraged those who were within the community to strengthen their faith. From Colossians 1, even Paul states that his desire is to see the people who are being saved mature in Christ. Again, another way of putting this is that this is the inward aspect of the church, strengthening its believers. Uh, again, Wayne Grudem states that according to scripture, the church has an obligation to nurture those who are already believers and build them up to maturity in faith. Matthew Henry says that the church was their rendezvous for joint fellowship with God and is here today the best fellowship that we can have with one another. There's a sense of community here and together, togetherness and unity in Christ. I love the sense of community here in Acts because it doesn't mention the buildings or the programs or the latest and greatest. Today, a church can spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours in researching, advertising, studying the psychology, the sociology, the demographics, taking polls, census to create the latest and best program. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I also just love the simplicity in Acts here and the community that the church has because it describes um, that they didn't have any of that available to them. They had the Holy Spirit and they had the community of believers around them. And do we not have the same here today? Talks about the people. This community was made up of people. 
I was reminded of Jesus using all those metaphors for the church that are living. Um, like in John, uh, branches on a vine, an olive tree from Romans, a field of crops from Corinthians, a harvest from Matthew and John. And while those metaphors don't just point to one thing, but are used to remind us of various characteristics of the church, I think it's completely relevant to draw the conclusion that all those metaphors describe a body that is living, growing, grows through a pruning of sorts, seasons, comes out better and stronger. And are we that living community? Are we a place that maybe has gone through some seasons, some pruning, but we still have growing to go? Are we a place that breathes life into people, into our souls? Is our community here one where people are being nurtured, developed, and matured in their faith? Are we a church that God wants us to be? Are we really devoted to community? Like I said at the beginning, uh, I know that who I am today is because of this community. And maybe just like a coach to his players, God is not only calling out for us to be his witnesses, but he's also saying, hey, you're a community. Maybe that'll help us to take the next step in the right direction, to maybe realign our mentality and make sure that we are supposed to be uh, making sure we are supposed to be where we are. I look forward to where God is directing this church, and I think that he has prepared us well to continue to move in the right direction. So in closing, uh, in Acts 2, we see that the church is, one, devoted to prayer, two, devoted to sharing the gospel, and three, devoted to community. Uh, it was encouraging to see that even Wayne Grudem defines the purpose of the church in this fashion. It's always good when you're, you, know, you align with a theologian. Um, he says that we can understand the purpose of the church in terms of, one, ministry to God, two, ministry to the world, and three, ministry to believers. And all this only comes if we identify ourselves with Christ and in Christ alone. Not just in a church, but individually as well. He goes on to say that Jesus Christ builds the church by calling his people to himself. I care about where our church is going and what we're doing. I love this focus of upward, outward, or inward, and even the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Because it's, what's the church, it's what the church was according to Acts. And if we embrace these things, if we devote ourselves to these things, then I trust that God will really work through us just as he did in the church of Acts, in his perfect way and through the Holy Spirit. This church, East Parkway, means the world to me, and I want to see this community grow stronger, better, fuller, more whole in every way, and more devoted. I'll read it one last time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I ask you, are we a church that is devoted to prayer? Are we a church devoted to sharing the gospel? Are we a church devoted to community? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to sharing the gospel? And are you devoted to community? Let's pray. God, we come before you, Lord, with eager and wanting hearts 
with desire to be a church, a community that is committed to you in every way. God, we want to be uh, devoted to prayer, Lord, that unifies us together as a body of believers, but also unifies us with you and your heart that aligns us with your will. God, we want to be devoted to sharing the gospel. We don't want to forget about our purpose here and what you've called us to do, to be reaching those around us. We don't want to be selfish with the people in our lives, but we want to be loving them in the best way possible by sharing your truth with them. And God, we want to be a better community here. We want to encourage uh, further development of each other's faith, to be a place where we really do want to spend as much time as possible here together with each other. Again, as I look out on these, uh, on this congregation, God, I'm just so blessed and thankful for, in so many ways by these people, and I hope that they all feel that too amongst each other, but I pray that those who are new to the church, those who we welcome every Sunday, that they would all feel um, a love that defines who we are. So God, we give our desires to you, we give our hearts to you. Let me pray this in your son's name. Amen.